Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. So here we are in Staples, Minnesota. Today I've got Nate Peterson from Central Lakes College here. Uh, Nate, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself a little bit, tell us what you do, and uh, yeah. Okay. Well, like you said, my name is Nate. Uh, I've been teaching here in the robotics program for about 16 years now. Um, I, could, I am a graduate of the program, 1994 graduate, so it shows you how old I am. Uh, but it's been a good time. It's been a good time, you know, working in the program, kind of bringing my touch to the program and my experiences to the program. So. It doesn't feel like 16 years, right? I remember when you uh, when you took back or you came back here, right, and uh, kind of took over and it was like, it feels like it was five years ago, not... Uh, I know, and that's why I wanted to bring that up. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's gone by quick, I can tell you that. Uh, For sure. Especially the last eight years, uh, we brought Robbie on board about eight, in 2013. Yep. Uh, so uh, that's, what, nine years now. Man. Um, and that's, for me, has is, is gone by really, really quick. Definitely, definitely. So those of you that don't know Central Lakes College, specifically the Staples campus, I would say and this is maybe a little bit of a home field uh, former alumni statement, but probably if you want to learn robotics in an industrial manner, the place to go in Minnesota for sure. Um, if not a big chunk of the upper Midwest, right? Like there's no programs that are quite like this. There's stuff that's meh, it's close, right. but this is the place, right? So Right. We're uniquely different than other robotics programs. Uh, we focus more on integration than programming, probably. I think a lot of the other uh, schools, and, and this is just my observation, is, is they'll fo focus on you know programming, teaching points, creating a, a robot operator, per se. Uh, but we focus on the whole system. So we're more of an applied engineering program in that standpoint because it's about project management. Um, this is my, my project that I want to build, my capstone project. Um, number one, how do I do it manually or the old-fashioned way? And then number two, how do I automate that process? How do I make robots make that product? Sure, sure. So that's that's what our bread and butter is right there. And, and I would say, and, and I don't know if it's still similar, but as, a, as we went through the program or as I went through it, I remember that last year during this project, right, that was kind of the, the, the finale of it all. It was, hey, there's a robot in parts graveyard. Right. Come up with an idea. Go find stuff and make it work, right? Like, right. here, is that still kind of the case? That is the case. Um, we, we, we have a lot of companies donate pieces, parts, equipment, and um, that goes into this. We call it the boneyard. Sure, sure. Um, there you go. But, but it really is. It's a, it's a robotics automated systems junkyard. Yeah. And, and we go, you go into there and you, 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 you dig through a bunch of sensors, for example, and you find the sensor that you want. You go down and you hook it up, and then you find out it doesn't work because <laughs> probably somebody from Justin's class burned it up years ago. Absolutely. And, and then you go put it back in the pile, and then you find one that does work. So Right, right. Um, but, yeah, that still exists, and I think there's a lot of learning that happens there. Because, sure. you know, it's you look at, you know, it's problem solving. You know, I, I'm building this jig or this fixture, and I need a sensor to detect my part, what kind of a sensor do I need? Okay, right. I need 
it, this sensor. So now I got to go find one and I got to dig through all these other sensors. And you come up with one. It's like, oh, well, this isn't the one I'm looking for, but will it work? Let's go find out. Right. So, and that's some of the fun parts of, of figuring out how to make your project work. And, and I think in today's uh, world of supply chain challenges, right? That, that what you just described is happening in real time every day at every one of our customers. Like, well, it's not exactly what I was looking for, but I think I can make it work. Right. right? So it's mm-hmm. totally applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and then the students see it too, because you, you know what a sourcing sensor is versus a sinking sensor. For sure. You know, so I need a sourcing sensor, but I can only find these sinking ones. What do I need to do? How do I change my circuitry to make that work? Right, right. Yeah, and again, total, I, I can think back to days when I was out in the field and, hey, I've got my <laughs> stuff didn't work. Now I've got to throw some relays in between, right? right, right. I think every good technician best. would carry a, a, a bunch of relays with That's them right. when That's they traveled. Right. Fuses and relays, I think those were <laughs> two main components in my, my toolbox. Yeah, so speaking of your toolbox, I guess uh, let's let's go through the way, way back machine. So where originally were you from and how did you get Number one to Staples, and then where did you go from there? What did that walk us through a little bit of what that looks like? Um, I had kind of a really neat journey, I think. Um, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm, so about forty miles to the west of here. Okay. Uh, you know, at a young age, I started driving tractor. I started, you know, baling hay. I started um, yeah, working with different equipment, and and of course, you know, we weren't real super rich farmers, so when the equipment would break, you have to fix it. And I got, you know, obviously my dad fixed it, but I helped him. And then, you know, you know, for growing up on the farm, you kind of learn how to weld by age 10 or 12, I sure, think, you know, sure. just kind of, and you're not great. And you kind of learn, you know, what, a, what kind of a weld it takes. Otherwise it'll break. Right? Sure. Yeah. So, so you start learning that kind of stuff. And, uh, and growing up as a kid, I was always excited about electronics. You know, I, any electronic game that I would get, I would, eventually tear it apart to see how it worked and start looking at circuit boards and how the buttons interacted with the circuit board. So I was, I was kind of always that guy that would take things apart, put them back together. But also when things stopped working or things broke, I was always the go-to guy to, to, to make it work again. So a tinkerer at an early age. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, when I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, we had an option at my school that we're going to offer this programming class. And you got to realize this is 30 years or more than that ago, 35 years ago. Yeah. And programming. Oh, that sounds cool. So, so I signed up for this uh, extracurricular programming class, and we got to learn how to program Apple Basic on Apple IIe computers. Sure, sure. And, and I loved it. I just excel. I actually went off and made um, some games that would mimic like Zelda because I grew up in the, the NES era. You yeah. Know, and I, I could tell you some stories about Zelda. I just lose track of time when I play that <laughs> game. But, um, but yeah, so I, I took this programming class and I excelled. I loved it. And then when I got later on in the high school, 10th grade, I took another programming class. And I, and I really like computers. So I'm looking around, what can I do with computers? And, and I ended up, I wanted to go to St. Thomas to become a, a software engineer. Sure. Because they had a great program down there. And, and I can remember my dad, he said, you know what, and... <laughs> He's looking at St. Thomas being a private school, and he's, and he's looking at that big price tag, and he said, you're a farm kid. You need to find tech school. Sure. Go to a good sure. tech school. So, all right. So I started looking around, and I, I found this really cool architectural engineering class 
I believe it was in Detroit Lakes at the time. It may have moved by now. Which is what, a half hour, hour from here? Um, it's probably an hour from here. Yep. Okay. So it was, you know, where I grew up, it was half hour, sure. 45 minutes. Um, so it would have been a great opportunity. And, and, and you know, again, it's, it's about drawing. It's CAD system. So you're drawing yep. houses on computers. And, um, well, back in my time, we had a drafting table. So sure. <laughs> drawing sure. houses on paper. And I was just super excited about that. And then when I was a senior in high school, my, my parents knew um, some people over uh, by the Purim area, and his son was going through the program here, and they're saying, well, maybe you should go check out this robotics program in Staples. And, and I can remember, it's like, I didn't want to, but the thing was I could get out of high school for a day to come tour the, the campus, and I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm all about that. So I, I came down here on a Friday, and I walked into the lab, and I'm like, yep, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I, I just knew it as soon as I seen the equipment. Um, I saw everything that people were doing. I seen the interaction. You know, you got to program these robots, right? Right. Yep, sold me right. As soon as I walked in that door, I said, yep, I'm changing my whole life right here. Yeah. And, and, and again, that was 30-some years ago. That's awesome. And, and I think, you know, based on, I guess, similar but different backgrounds, I think, you know, that tinkering and that physicality of being able to make things move and work and then applying the programming to it, that was always what got me, right? It was like, right. if you said, hey, and, and I, I don't suspect you're a guy that likes to sit in a cube all day kind of a thing. You're a, you're a get up and move and go do guy. Um, all of a sudden you look at what you would have done or could have done at St. Thomas, right? Like mm -hmm. you're right, going to go right. write some banking software. Right. I, you, you're not going to see the sun or you're going to be stuck <laughs> right, in this cube right. in the middle of a cube farm. And, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I tell, you know, anybody that knows me knows don't call me on my office phone because I'm not there. Right. Right. You know, send me an email. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to catch me in my office. For because sure. I'm always in the floor. I'm always talking to somebody or I'm doing something like we are here today. Yep. Yep. So you went from Central Lakes and Staples to Omaha next? Yep, Omaha next. Okay. I went to work for a company called Automated Concepts, and they've changed their names a couple times, and they're today they're called the CETA, uh, just a name drop, I guess. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and just one more shout-out to John Berg, if he's listening. Um, he's retiring this summer, I believe. July 14th, I think, is his party. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and John Berg's been in the industry for 40 years and, and uh, just a great influence in person and and inner innovator himself in the way he looks at projects. So, so thank you, John. Um, but anyway, I went to work for um, Automated Concepts, and I, I, I did two two tours at Automated Concepts. The first one was about a year and a half, and and I got sucked away by a former uh, employee uh, who started his own company, and and I went to work for him for two years. And I'm like, you know, I really miss what Automated Concepts was all about because they're about building systems. Mm -hmm. You know, we're gonna not only program robots or install robots, but we're building systems to make whatever part you can think. So I went back to work um, for Automated Concepts for another 11 years after that. So. Sure, sure. And I, I think to some of the systems that I've seen Automated Concepts build, and I I don't know if it's still on the, the tour, but the uh, they had been called the Star Wars cells mm -hmm. up in Gwinter, North Dakota. So... Um, the only thing in Gwinter is uh, is a delicious diner and a, uh, a bobcat facility. And I remember walking in, I think we were here at, at Staples, and we went up for a tour. And uh, 
you saw robots grab all of the pieces of a bobcat bucket and then mm-hmm. robots came down from the ceiling and up from the floor and then the bucket was done mm-hmm. like it just it all happened there was no not a single person anywhere near this thing yeah so was that two robots that came down or four robots that came down Great I'm trying question to, I'm i don't to, remember i'm trying to figure out what era you you toured there uh, because there was a category two and a category three okay and i was involved with both <laughs> okay okay um, but yeah i actually uh installed uh quite a few of those sure. star wars systems did you guys do the agv work that went with no, that too we didn't, no no okay no, that was another company but that was really cool too because the agv the automatic guided vehicle um, that would actually, um, it would start at, uh, we'll call it an operator station, where an operator would preload a fixture, and we would, you know, tack parts in there. And then that AGV would take that fixture to a Star Wars cell, and it would enter the cell, it would suck the fixture up in it to a, a big headstock, tailstock that would rotate it as needed, and then you'd have four robots that would come down out of the ceiling and do all of the welding. <laughs> so very automated, very, very cool. And I would say way before AGVs and AMRs were a sexy topic, right? right. Like this, this was this was original. This right. was amazing. And there's so many of them. It seemed like um, every time you turn around, there's one chasing you. It felt right. like while you're walking around the plant, and, right. and they're just everywhere. And they're just constantly working, just constantly moving parts around. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I I never saw the, the the PLC program that controlled all that, um, but. I bet you it was pretty cool. I bet it was. I bet it was. Um, any other cool projects, you know, as you think about, hey, this this, this one was really the one. Anything that trips your uh, memory banks? or? Oh, yeah, quite a few of them. I mean, how sure. much time do we have? <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I, I go back to, to when, I, when I first started at Automated Concepts and I did my first systems. Um, one of the coolest things I did is, is I went and I did some palletizing systems for some big paper mills. And so with palletizing systems, there's some special software that goes with that. So I did one, two, three robots, and then I actually went to training to learn how to run the software, right? <laughs> so these are, these are in-production systems uh, that I put in before the software. And, and then I went to Detroit to the FANUC headquarters. And uh, guess who's my class? It was my second-year teacher from here. Really? So I was in the same class with Randy Reed. Okay. Okay. So that was that was really cool. That is um, cool. And he's like, he, he looks at the instructor, and, and you know when an instructor has experience actually out in the workforce, and he looks at me, he goes, you and I are going to be lab partners. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I showed him what I knew, you know, and it was really, really yeah. fun. But um, I think, you know, the one project, because I think there's a project where everything comes together. Yeah. And we did a project for a company called Zenith, and we were making uh, TV picture tubes. I would imagine a lot of people have never seen a picture tube in today's sure. world. But we were doing, I want to say, a 27-inch tube, and we had to do 180 an hour. So you think about all the TVs that are coming off that line. We had six robots in there to um, to, to build the well, we weren't building the tube. We were actually putting a band around the tube, and we were doing some painting on the anode and the cathode, and, okay. and you can look those terms up. But <laughs> So we're, we're putting in these robots, and then we had a PLC that kind of controlled the system. So I've got this PLC that's thinking about and tracking where all the tubes are in the system, and we had conveyors, and we had stations, and, and the PLC would track the tubes and know what the next process for that tube was and then would notify the robot on what to do. And just how everything communicated 
I think was probably, you know, an aha moment for me is because this, this device over here is going to track everything. All the robots are going to do exactly what they're being told. And, uh-huh. and it just worked great. And I, um, that was a f- first line of many that we put into that system. I think we put six lines in, if I remember Holy right. Holy cow. So that's, uh, that's a lot of robots, right? Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty wild. Yep. Yep. So, but you know, the thing is another, another interesting story too, yeah. that, that opened my eyes was, you know, I started, um, working for automated concepts when I was 19 years old. So I, I came to here, I'm, I'm kind of young for my, my age. I started here in the program when I was 17. I graduated high school when I was 17. So I was 19 ah. when I graduated here. And, and there's a lot of trouble, uh, uh, challenges when you travel when you're only 19 years old for work rental as far cars. as rental cars yeah and, yeah credit cards and um, back in my day it was harder to get a credit card than it is today and we, we didn't have debit cards um, but where was I going with this <laughs> cool story another machine oh traveling. yeah yeah so so I so I started when I was 19 and I I was pretty young when I was assistant service manager and I and I was sent to General Electric out in um Schenectady, New York, and they were doing some pretty cool things with robots and making big generators. Um, so we were going to actually wrap the stator bar of a generator, and uh, we didn't. It wasn't our pro. It, the original project wasn't ours, but we were taken over, so we were going to do some duplicate cells. And I'm like, well, this is super simple, right? Um, just one robot system, one robot doing a process, mm-hmm. easy, right? And it was. It was fairly easy. The the end of arm tooling was pretty complex, but it was really easy, and I understood everything that I was going on. And I believe I was about 27 or 28 at the time. And then when I went in to meet with the executives at General Electric, they looked at me and said, you're too young to be doing this. We want somebody else. <laughs> and I'm like, I just got off a multi-million dollar project at this other company, and we did all the cool stuff like we were just talking about. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I can do this. And we, I think we sold them six or 12. I don't remember what the end number was. That's crazy. It was. And and interesting that I I think this is a, and it kind of leads into the education piece too, right? It's just like, what, what are the norms? What's expected? What, there's a lot of things here that happen in manufacturing. And and that, that I think highlights one of them is like, Hey, we're expecting that. And and we're going to get into some of the, generational demographics here but they were looking for that guy that was your dad right right i mean yeah. that's mm-hmm. and that's I, I remember going on installs literally with my dad because we worked together for a while right right and it was like wait a second here right and so that's what they were looking for mm-hmm. and i'm sure based on the fact that you guys sold piles of repeats you blew their socks off right, right? like it just worked right um and i think too as we look at some of this there's a creativity angle to the automation space right it's mm-hmm. hey Somebody in a shop somewhere built something, right? Whether that's a TV or a motor or a microphone. Mm-hmm. How can you put that together and and do it the same way every time really, really fast? Right. So when I when my students start doing research for their capstone project, let, and it doesn't matter what the project is. It doesn't matter if you're welding together a garden cart or if you're building a toolbox, or if you're building a cribbage board, you know, doing some drilling and some etching. Um, how do they do it now? You know, you could, YouTube is great. You can find yeah. anything online. So let's do some research and find out how it's being built. So let's figure that out, and then let's build one ourselves by hand. 
Um, and a lot of my kids have never welded before. So if I'm welding together a garden cart, it's just, it's amazing. These kids light up when they, when they get a weld for the first time. Um, but how do you build it? And then think about how do you then automate that? So there's a lot of creative um, ideas that go in that process. And, and yeah, not all of them work. You know, we learn, I, I believe we learn through failure. So let's go ahead and put this weld down. If it doesn't hold, we need to figure out how to make that a better weld. Um, and then, yeah, of course, there's some engineering that goes into welding too, sure. by the way. So, but sure. we just get these kids uh, excited. So one of the things that has popped up in my mind lately, and it, it dawned on me as I was talking with my daughter and, and just watching her friends, right? Like it, they didn't grow up with the craftsman toolbox in hand. Right. And I think about the changing workforce and, and really the dynamics of Minnesota and, and other Midwest areas. The kids that are coming into the program now, I, I guess – you know what? What's where are they coming from, and what are their backgrounds? Right? Like, have they have they had a similar tinkering background, or are we seeing a different approach to the whole problem? Um, to talk about the toolbox first, I listened to some of your previous podcasts. Sure, and sure. Talked about toolboxes, and and uh, one thing I did when I was first married, I realized. You know, I didn't want my wife using my tools. <laughs> and I'm not saying anything bad about that. So I went and bought her her own toolbox. Yeah. And she, yeah. and that was, um, om- again, almost 30 years ago. We've been married for, for quite a few years. Yeah. Um, so I bought her own t- toolbox, and she still uses that today. And in fact, I, can, I could walk in my house and tell you exactly where it is because I know where she keeps it. Um, not saying that I ever borrowed any of her tools. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I did as a dad is I bought my kids a toolbox when they graduated high school. Okay. So both my kids um, have their own tools and use their own tools, but uh, they still use my tools too, and then I get mad. Um, <laughs> what was the second part of the question? It, when we think about the, the kids coming into the program. Oh, the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are they similar? Have they learned? You, you, you just mentioned some of them don't know how to weld. Right, right. And for you and I, that would have been crazy talk. What do you mean you don't know how to weld? Mm-hmm. No, it, it, I see all kinds of backgrounds. I okay. see, you know, some kids that have come in the program. And in fact, I get, I, you know, I, I joke around and I say some of my best students are students that have failed out of university sure, or, or dropped out of university um, just because they thought they needed to, you know, pursue that academic path. Um, but the, so the background will range from, you know, uh, not knowing anything, uh, not even know how to turn a computer on to knowing how to drill and tap holes and, and run bridge ports, for example. Yep. So, and, one year, I, I can remember I had a student who, who didn't know how to read a tape measure. So really? I'm like, wow. You know, I can't, I think I was eight years old when I got my first tape measure. Yeah. My, my dad bought me a toolbox like when I was eight. Yeah. Um, and I, so I asked my class, how many of you guys have ever read a tape measure before? And there's about five or six that have never read a tape measure before. So we had a tape measure lesson. Wow. Yeah. And we're talking 18-year-old. Yep. 18, Adults, 20 year old, right? 21 year old. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, guys, didn't you guys learn fractions in, in, in math class? Yeah. Well, I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever have to use fractions. I'm like, okay, let me explain how fractions work. So sure. we go into a sub subtopic. Wow. I, uh, it, it's wild, but I, I totally believe it. And it's, right. uh, right. Right. And if you tour my lab right now and you look at the different projects, you can tell what kids came to school with the different skill sets. Mm-hmm. You can see which ones are. 
and I don't want to say they're better constructed, sure. but there's more, there's different thought processes and how they're constructed yep. versus kids that have never done this before and they're experimenting. Yep. You know, what do you mean I need to clamp down my metal before I weld it? Right. Right? Right. Well, we like to learn the hard way here. <laughs> well, and, and I had mentored a, a team for FIRST Robotics, which I think okay. is an awesome program, by it the is. way. It is. It um, is. And these kids were the smartest of the smart, right? Mm -hmm. If you gave them a gigantic math problem, stuff that would make you and I cringe and, and probably run the other way, they'd look at it and go, okay, yep, I got this. Mm -hmm. And I watched a kid one time take a one-inch square aluminum tube and he had a magnet and he was fishing a nut into the middle of the tube, right? And he was wow. going to attach his screw. And I said, wow. do you know what a tap is? <laughs> and I just blew his mind, right? But it was that experience yeah. thing. He would have got it to work. It had yep. been fine. He'd yep. have learned. Yep. But once you showed him, it was like, now everything, like, you just, boom, you game changed over. the world, yep. yeah. Now, it's a funny story. We just had graduation here on Wednesday night. And, and my kids when they go out on internship, it's an eight-week internship, and they travel all over the United States. And this young lady was is out in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and she came back for graduation and actually handed me back she a, a tap and a tap handle. And she's like, hey, I borrowed these from you. I probably should return them. And I'm like, <laughs> I almost said, you know what, keep it. I mean, I, I was so impressed yeah. that she... Yeah, she can tap, drill and tap holes. That's awesome. You know, it's That's always awesome. another funny story. Um, when I used to work in industry, we'd hire people out of this program. I can remember one individual, uh, we hired him, and he was working with mechanical assembly people, and he had to go drill a quarter 20, or, or tapped quarter 20 hole, right? Yep, yep. So what size drill bit did he use? Quarter inch. Oh, no. And guess what? When you put the tap in there, it falls right through. So... You know, uh, lesson learned. You know, when do you learn that? That's the right. question. Do you learn it on, on your your boss's floor, or do you learn it in school? Do you learn it? You know, I can't. Again, I learned it on the farm. I knew what a, a, a tap and die set was all about on the farm because my right. my dad would give me a project. He'd go out and buy like he bought an old combine, and he's like, "All right, let's tear this combine down. Go over there and pull every bolt, nut." all the angle iron organized everything so that yeah. was that was my summer project next summer my project was to run a die through all the bolts and a tap through all the nuts to clean them up sure sure so you know i so i didn't grow up on a farm i grew up in the middle of nowhere but didn't have the, the quite the hands-on experience but i would say the first time it hit me was metals class in maybe like eighth or ninth grade right and you learned, hey, at one point, I think our final project was to mill a perfectly square one-inch cube. Right. Um, and that was it, right? And they yep. would measure parallelism and yep. the whole works. Um, but you learned a little bit about taps and, and dies and things like that at that point. But I wonder, and, and I don't know what it's like here anymore, but I know in the, the Twin Cities area, the shop classes have all kind of been mothballed, if right. not completely removed. It's, uh, is that the case? It's a high cost. I mean, you sure. think about liability and insurance and, and you run a, a machine tool class and in a high school, it's a high cost class. And okay. in today's world, you know, public education, K-12 education is, is cutting, and I don't want to say cutting every corner, but sure. they are, they, they're yep. trying to save a, a dollar here and a dollar there. And, yep. um, to close a, a high cost program is really low hanging fruit for them. Right. And, 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 you know, the school board and, and 
and, and the parents, more of the parents, you know, pushing the school board. But, you know, they're really to, looking to, to um, send their kids to that four-year university instead of yeah. a tech school because, you know, everybody wants their kids to do better than what they did. Yep. And I actually got called on that once quite a few years ago. I was out um, in Chicago and a good f- friend of mine said, well, your kid's growing up. Uh, what, what do you think he's going to do or where is he going to go to school? And I said, well, I'll make sure he goes to a four-year university in some kind of an engineering program. And, and my friend looked at me and he said, why would you ever do that? And it caught me off guard. Sure. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, look at you. Did you ever go to a four-year university? I said, no. Are you doing good? Yeah. Are you being paid well? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, again, one of those aha moments is what am I doing? Why would I do this to my own son? So, and, and of course, sure. my son ultimately went through the program here, and now he works for one of my advisory board members. So, Okay. Okay. So. Very cool. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But it's, I want to talk about middle class just one, yeah, one yeah, last yeah, yeah. thought there. Um, you know, when I went to high school, I went to a smaller high school. We, we had a welding class, but we didn't have a metals class or a, a, a tool class. Okay. Um, so I can, you know, I grew up, you know, we, we ran wood lathes, right? So uh-huh. I would turn and make baseball bats on the wood lathes. I, I spent a lot of time in my high school shop class. I had a great, great teacher there. Um, I can remember the first time that we walked through our machine tool program here on this campus. And I'm like, oh my God, you can turn metal? <laughs> Wow. Holy cow. That right. is cool. Right. Right. Never. Th- what do you, how does that work? You know, how, right. how does that happen? And then, then of course, yeah. Then I, I learned about, you know, making that inch by inch cube yep. and, and that's, you know, challenging. Yeah. And, and there's a, you know, there's kind of a process to it and a right mm-hmm. way to do it. And you right. see some of these guys that build tooling um, in, in what a huge, uh, well, this, it's an art form. A, it, it is it, an it, art It's form. an art form. And, and, and you get two different people, and you said there's a right way to do that. Well, yes and no. There's a right way for that person to do it, and then there's sure. a different right way for this person to do it, and they can still get to that same place yep. um, just on that different way of thinking about it. But I wonder, you know, again, I think about all the old tool and die makers that I've met over the course of my career. There's another, like, oh, yes. we talk about workforce challenges and oh, the yes. gap that's coming. That's... That's the backbone of making anything, yep. and yep. there's not a lot of them left anymore. I, I mean, know it's getting worse. I know um, it's very challenging. I've I visited a lot of companies here this spring, and I don't for some reason the the, the machine tool or the uh, the tool room has kind of been on my mind a lot uh, this semester. And I've looked around a little more than I normally do about um, what companies need, uh-huh. and there's a lot of machines, a lot of manual machines in there, uh-huh. and you got to stop and think those machines are there for a reason because companies are about making money. Floor space is expensive. They're not going to have a machine that they're not using. Um, But, you know, one thing, surface grinding, I've seen a lot of those. So that tells you I've been in a lot of mold making places. Um, There's all, every company seemed to have three or four of them, not just one, but three or four. And I, and I, and I've actually asked some of the production managers, um, how are you guys, what are you guys going to do when these guys retire? Because machinists are all getting gray, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. How's your machine tool program doing at the college? And uh, we're struggling. You yeah. Know, honestly, uh, we're looking at suspending the program next year. Just low attendance? No attendance, or, or low recruitment. Okay, um, sure. 
Um, but we're going to, we're going to try to retool it. We're going to bring yep. it back in 2023. Um, and it's got to be good. You know, these guys need this. We need to make molds here in the United States. We need to make tools here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, we need to support production because really these, this equipment is supporting production that's out there. If we can't support the production, what's going to happen? Right. And it's, it's not just molds, right? I mean, molds are a big part of it, but I think about all of the, let's go back to your, your TV tubes, mm -hmm. all of the grippers, all of the mm -hmm. end effectors, all mm -hmm. of the things, right? Like it's really cool to look on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. YouTube and see these yep. banana shaped things and like air pocket, like it, yep. a lot of neat grippers out there. Right. I had another story about that. Yeah. Um, so when I first started working on that project, I had, uh, um, they were S6 robots, so a smaller size robot, and the payload is about 12 pounds. Uh, I put the gripper on there. I put, I started to move the robot around. I kept running to overcurrent alarms, overcurrent alarms. And when you say small robot, we're talking like a three-footer? Yeah, three From foot. base to tip kind of a thing? No, it's taller than that. Okay. Um, it was on a riser too, so it, okay. it has more reach, but sure. it's probably three or four feet, so it's okay. not real, it's not super big. Yep. Um, but 12-pound capacity, right? Uh, so I start running this robot around to start programming. It kept running all of these overcurrent alarms. I'm like, well, what the heck? And I look up the alarm in the book. It says my payload's over capacity. Well, what's payload? I don't, I don't, my, <laughs> I'm just picking up a little band. I, oh, there's that big gripper on there. So right. I pulled the gripper off and I weighed it and that gripper weighed 14 pounds. Uh, so what am I doing at 11 o'clock at night? I go to the bridge port and I start Swiss milling pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I tell you what, the first system went out that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it worked. <laughs> it worked, yeah. We got it down to about 11 pounds. Yeah. And uh, it worked for many years. I'd say it's still running, but we don't make tubes anymore. So <laughs> that right. one might be gone. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, you know, thinking about that angle too, just the, the duration of some of this stuff, I don't know what the, what the support was like when you were at Aceta, but you know, how often did you go back and revisit and service that first, second, third, fourth machine you built? You don't. Once you put it in production, it runs. The only time you go back out there, if you're doing some a product update, sure, it runs and, you know, and there's uh, preventative maintenance schedules for robots, but I think very few companies actually follow them. They just run them for 10 years and then they throw them away and buy a new one. Right. Um, because most of the robots can live that way. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think we, we could pick on Fanic because I know we both spent a lot of time working with them. But I remember they make a palletizing model called a 410i. Mm -hmm. um, and this thing stands, it's on like a four foot, six foot riser. And I bet this has got what, like a nine foot each way kind of a reach it's it's big i would say it's bigger than that could yes, be it is it certainly is and r2000 uh, has a nine foot reach there you go and that one's not as big so right. the 410's got to be bigger yep. um but you would look at this thing and the preventative maintenance cycle the only thing that they recommended you do was change the batteries in it yep and no it's not battery operated that's for backing up some of the computers on board yep. um and then you'd change the grease out right and the the first axis on those was always my favorite because isn't it like two gallons worth of grease that you flush through there? I I, I can't be exact with that. I, I to be honest with you, I think I've only greased one robot in my okay. career. Okay. Okay. Um, and that was when I was training in somebody else to grease the robot. I mean, so <laughs> so to to, to to maintenance a fanic robot, and I'm sure Yaskal is the same way. Yeah. Um, it's fairly simple in the procedures in the book. And again, I I grew up on a farm, you know. I greased combines when I was right. young yep. and 
yeah, this is certainly easier than that. Uh, but yeah, it does take a lot of grease. And the procedure is you grease it and the, the new grease pushes out the old grease. And when you yep. see the color change in the grease, you're done. So you just keep pumping. Yep. And back in my day, it was a hand pump. In today's oh. world, you got the battery operated. You just pull a trigger and you just hear the, the whirl and just hold it in until the grease changes color. Yep. Um, but yeah, it takes about five gallons to completely grease a robot of that size. Yep. But that was it, right? Mm-hmm. If you did that, and, and you're right, there were plenty of them that didn't see fresh grease yeah. from cradle to grave. Right, right? They, right. Just they just ran forever. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's popped up and, and you keep hearing a lot about is cobots. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a couple of questions tied to that. Number one, are you guys teaching to that? And then I guess number two, have you seen some of that longevity or what are you hearing on that from from people that are actually doing the work? Um, cobots, yeah, they're starting to move into industry. I mean, we've been talking cobots. I'm not sure how many years now. It's got to be getting close to ten. It's been they've been out there, but it's scary to say that. But yeah, probably. So, and, and it is a slow start into um, into our system. And if you look at a cobot, the the, the, the challenge with a cobot is their slow speed. Mm-hmm. You know, in case they, you know, they're designed to work with people, so they're going to run at a slower speed. So when they do crash into you, they they detect it. It's like you running into me. It's not going to hurt. Um, so they've been slowly moving more into the industry. And, and yes, and some of these companies that I've been touring this, this semester, yeah, we've seen cobots in production. We've seen them working. Um, the, the, the really cool thing about a cobot is they're, they're really mobile. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of these machine tool companies, for example, here in the area, they run small part runs. And really, if you want your bang for the buck in the automation world, you're looking at bigger part runs and, and quick changeover, automatic changeover. Um, but here, we're doing smaller part runs. So what people are doing is they're putting these cobots on a cart, and they're just simply wheeling them to the machine, lock, latch it into the machine, and then touch up a couple points, and in a, an hour, they're running. You know, And that's what some of my students right now are interning and doing. And yeah, they just... they. When that part run is done, they wheel that machine to somewhere else, load, unload, and they're done. So, and so there's no, there's no, there's no fencing, for example, that you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about moving machines around to to make it to make the automation work. You don't need to worry about putting a conveyor system because you're just going to stack the parts on a pallet because it's a small run. You got one pallet to go. So on that cart with the robot, you've got a, a, a stack of raw parts and a small bin or a it pallet be, or something. Is that kind of the... It, it can be attached to the robot, but a lot of times it's just another pallet. So I'm doing bin okay. picking on one side. And, and quite honestly, you know, if you look at 3D bin picking, I just wheel in this, this tub, pick out my parts, put them in, stack them on the pallet on the other side. So, so really, no, I mean, they're, they're separate and that makes it even more versatile. I remember when 3D bin picking was still a little voodoo and smoke and mirrors. Oh, yeah. Seems like that's come a long ways. I, again, you know, I started doing vision back in 1995. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Apple Macintosh. Yep. Man. Mm-hmm. So I guess what did that look like then? What? Because my first vision system I think that I worked on was a... Uh, a Fanuc Vizlock system, which had an old frame grabber card. Mm-hmm. So you had your computer yep. and a and that card was PCI like PCI or ISA card, it was twelve inches long. Yeah, it was huge. It's like how do I put this into this little computer box? Right, right. So what did it look like before that even? Um, you know, I to be honest with you, uh, the 
the, the, the Apple machine, we had um, an opto-isolator isolator board. If, and again, opto-isolators are long past. Yeah. So we had, that was our interface for our digital signals. And then we had coaxial cable running out. So they had to have some equivalent of a frame grabber board in that okay. machine too. So I didn't install it. Um, but we're looking at grayscale. You know, we're setting yeah. up inspection boxes and we're looking at grayscale and we're looking, you know, so if you're looking at a brown box and it's next to the next brown box, usually you can see a dark line in between those brown boxes. Yep. And you're looking at that change from brown to black to brown and you're identifying that as a line or as a point or whatever you yeah. are. So that's what you're looking for. So you're getting very creative, you know, back to that creativity piece mm-hmm. that you talked about. Um, so, yeah, you're creative. How am I identifying this part? And then once I can uh, establish where the lines are, I can think about rotation. I know where it's supposed to be, and if that line is rotated a little bit, I can send that rotational offset to the robot so the robot can adjust its its gripper and pick up the box. Sure. So I would say kind of a we now have tools that have wrapped all of those functions into just automatic things, mm-hmm. right? I think about like just the pattern matching mm-hmm. where you go. That's what it was, yep, pattern matching it. was like was like a miracle that happened i think in the vision world right pattern we're gonna look for this pattern it's like holy cow that's awesome <laughs> right, <laughs> because usually right. your box is going to have a pattern to it somehow maybe it's Absolutely. a rectangular pattern or maybe you're looking for a logo on that box yep. you know whatever company you're running you just look for that pattern because that pattern is going to be orientated the same way every time right where it used to be like you say edge find mm-hmm. and you'd so you'd start in the middle and you'd search out out mm-hmm. out out and mm-hmm. then you'd have to do your own math to figure mm-hmm. out what was going on and yeah but that was fun too yeah to do your own math and you're like well why isn't this working so you gotta go back right. and look at your formula because you're inventing these formulas at this time right what's wrong with my formula why is it giving me this um but that was fun well and i i think about when things are done for me, and, and I struggle with this even in things like Excel, right? So mm-hmm. there's how many formulas are built into Excel right. out of the box, piles of them. Right. My problem is I can never find the one I want. Right. So I wind up opening the VB script editor and writing my own right. stuff anyway. Right. And then people are like, well, that was dumb. Why didn't you use the... Right. I don't know. Right. right. And then when something goes wrong, how do I fix it? Yeah. I only use a handful of formulas from Excel because I find out that I can get to where I want to go with just sure. the, the, the five that I know. Sure. So it's how do you string the five together to get your answer? That's because what that I, what it, I yeah. found is you can go and research, uh, you can go through the formula wizard. Um, but I find it takes you longer to go through the research um, yeah. than it is just to kind of figure out this is how I can get there. You yeah. Know? So yeah, I probably, if I did the research, I'd probably know. But so in that same light, I've seen a lot of this hype around how to make robots easier to program, right? right? These low code tools, no code tools. And I wonder, and and again, I've dabbled a little bit in things like the Microsoft Power Apps. And as a guy who's written just enough code to be dangerous over the course of his career, I struggle with, hey, I used the wizard and it got me 90% of the way there, but I don't know how to manipulate it to do that last 10%. Right. I wonder, and I guess what's your thoughts is like, as we do this with automation equipment, with industrial stuff, are we going to run into that same weirdness of like, hey, that was cute and it got us part of the way there, but it doesn't really finish the job? Or do you think we're going to, you think we'll be able to solve some of this and make it easier? And I guess follow on question is, how hard was it in the first place? 
I don't know, I thought it was easy, but I grew up with Carroll programming language, which is sure. based off Pascal. Yep. Um, so I'm very, I'm a structured language person, so that's how I look at all the programs. And then when uh, Fana came up with their TeachBand editor, I mean, that's, in my mind, basic. Yeah. And to me, everybody should know how to program in basic. So I'm not a fan of the icon-based programming that you're yep. talking about. Um, but maybe that's just because I'm getting old, too, you know? Could be, right? You know, I yeah. you know, oppose that change in, in technology. But I think what happens when you make it simpler, you kind of dumb things down. So mm-hmm. now you don't have to really think about what you're doing. You're just pushing icons and it's populating however it wants to. Um, I think if you see the code, now I got to think in a sequence and I got to think differently. Um, and yeah, and, and you've always got your eye on the target where you want to end up when you start programming. So sure. I don't know if you lose some of that or not. Um, I certainly teach my students the hard way. Yeah. And if they yeah. complain, then I'll put them on a Carol robot. Because <laughs> i got a couple of those still. Um, but that's what I grew up with, right? Right. So, you know, when I was talking about that, you know, Apple Quick ba- or Apple Basic, um, yeah, that's, I think everybody should know how to program in that. I think that should be taught in the school system. Well, and I wonder, you know, I, I keep seeing people, oh, you got to learn Python. You got to learn Python. And well, is it the same? Like, I, I've not opened up a Python, so I can't, I, I don't have a base point, but is, right. does that become what well, replaces what we learned? You got to learn C sharp. I think. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's always something that, that's that's cooler, it, it, you know, the eye candy of the, of the day. Sure. You know, the popular, we got to do this, we got to do that. Uh, I, I don't think it really matters which one. You should know one. Sure. You know, if it's Python, if it's C Sharp, if it's whatever, it, you just learn one. And because I think transitioning between the two is not that hard. You just have to relearn syntax and right. how to do things. I, I mean, I, I'm a big Visual Basic guy, so yep. um, I learned that. And that, you know, when you go through there, it's, the syntax is different. The way they, they look at, you know, objects and attributes of the objects uh, but but still, it's the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you look at VB code, it still is structured. Yeah, whether it was VB or Carol, like you say, or anything else, or mm-hmm. ABB's Rapid, right? Like mm-hmm. the only code that scared me was uh, Fanix RJ RG system. What was that based on? It was based off machine code. So G zero zero G zero one. Yep. So then you got to learn all those. And, and again, it's syntax, and I just was lazy and didn't ever want to learn those syntax. Now they just post it out of Mastercam. You don't even have to think about it. You right. just say go. And right. Psh, yeah. yeah, but it still generates that G code. Oh, and, yeah. And you got to be able to read through there because when you break a tool, you got to figure <laughs> out why did I break a tool, right? And I got to fix that G code. And you're not going to rerun it through the CAM software. You're going to go to the code and fix it. Hopefully, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's what we need anyway. Yeah. And I, I think back to, and, and again, I, 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 my first robot, my dad actually taught the class. So I think I was 17. Okay. I was at PRI at the time in okay. Twin Cities, okay. right? And uh, I'd like to know where your dad worked. PRI. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so before that, he worked at a place called Sunrise Medical in central Wisconsin. Okay. And they were buying robots from PRI or Productivity Inc. Yep. at the time. Yep, yep. And uh, it got to a point where he knew a bunch about it. Yep. And they said, well, why don't you come work for us? So we packed up and moved. And then my senior year came around to high school and I said, I don't want to sit in the classroom. I'm out. Right. So I went there and they're like, Hey, 
you can like build panels and right. weld stuff and right. like cool. But then at one point they had an extra spot in one of these customer training classes. And these classes were typically, and I'm assuming uh, automated concepts had similar, but it was a three day class. You'd come in, you'd mm-hmm. learn the basics of how to make a robot weld and mm-hmm. you went back to wherever you went. That's how I learned how to program uh, panel view yeah. from Rockwell. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's kind of where I get back to the, how hard is it? Because I think within the first, and I, I didn't have a robot background prior mm-hmm. to that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think within the first eight hours, we were tracing boxes of cardboard to mm-hmm. pretend like we were welding. What's the first programming class you ever took? Uh, was that it? <clears throat> Did you have anything in, in high school, middle school? I had AutoCAD classes in yeah. high school, okay. but I don't think I took a programming class until that. Okay. And my beyond that, it was when I got here, right. six, 12 months later. Right. But I think, you know, well, number one, I think it shows how easy it is to learn how to code. Sure. Right. So I don't know why we need to make it easier. Right. That's my argument. Um, but I just think about how a, a, a programming class in, in high school would have changed how you looked at that robot programming. And it, maybe it, it wouldn't have in this case because now you're applying, you know, what you're doing to the physical world. You're teaching I got to trace a box, you said. So I got to yep. teach the four corners. Yep. And then we go over and play with termination types. Um, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're and depart. Yeah. And, and, and then all of a sudden you're hitting your box and you're like, well, why is it doing that? Oh, right. Oh, this this is a tall the point is a in space is it really has no dimension to it. But right. let's give it to dimension now and, and tell you how big it is and how close you need to get to the center of that point. Right. And it was wild because, you know, even I think back to, because I also dabbled a little bit. We were using uh, PLC Direct, like okay. the little micro mm-hmm. O5s or whatever mm-hmm. they were. Yep. And so I learned just enough to be dangerous from another couple of former Staples grads. Yep. And it was like, here's what a contact is and here's what a coil is. And, and none of it really made sense other than I knew if this thing lit up, that thing lit up, and then something turned on in the physical world. Right. And so when I got here, I and, and maybe this gave you and I a little bit of an advantage because we knew something about something. We so the first year of the program here, you go through AC and DC electronics still, correct? Yep. And that's the way it was. So as we were going through and learning what all these little chicklets on the boards were doing, all of a sudden all the dots connected. That was kind of my aha yeah. moment. I went, wait a second, there's a transistor on a board, and when that thing turned on, it was because of that. And all of a sudden, boom, the world just opened up and it right. was like... Now I know why I need to learn digital electronics because right. there's a transistor instead of that's working. Right. And yeah. a lot of my classmates are going, who cares? What is this? This is weird. It's like that spooky right. math again. Yeah, because right? you're all excited and they're looking at you like... What, Who's what? this weird kid? Yeah, what's he what, doing? What, what's, he, what's he going off about? It's just a light bulb that turned on. Right, you know? right. Um, but have you ever run into a phenomenon called leakage current? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of trippy when you run in that first time. Um, you're like, I thought I turned that light off. Why won't it go off? Yeah. Or I go measure that output. It's on. It's always on. Why is it always on? Right. <laughs> yeah. The software says it's off, but right. that light is still absolutely turned on. Yeah. What do you mean? I What do you mean? I need a pull down resistor? What does that do? <laughs> So, but yeah, that's fun stuff to learn. And then all of a sudden, it, like you said, it makes sense. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I remember Gary Donner talking about leakage yep. current. Didn't, didn't relate to anything. And 
now I experience it like, oh my gosh, it's that's right. cool. Full you know? circle, Full right? Full circle, yeah. Not just tape on the contacts <laughs> on the relay. That's right. Uh, and for those of you following along, so a relay, think of a light switch, um, but it's electromechanically controlled, so you can program this thing. And uh, our instructor had a box full of these things with scotch tape that was nearly invisible, and that would be your test, right? You'd plug one of these things in and go, I don't know what's wrong. You figure it out. Actually, I'm older than Gary Downer. I didn't have him as an instructor. Oh. Yeah. Well, then. <laughs> He's a good, he's, he's one of my mentors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. Is. So, um, in fact, uh, I talked to him quite a bit still today. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so we didn't get a ton into things happening in the, in the college or in the system, I guess. Anything you want to share, you know, we're coming up on the end of the hour here, but anything you think is super interesting or plugs you want to give or like what, just any, anything around the, the education system or this program in particular that you think is interesting i would i would welcome anybody that wanted to come and visit come sure. visit because i think uh you compare us to different schools you think um that we're just simply another college and we're not in fact you know i tell people i don't i don't i when i run my program or i teach my class i i run it like i used to run my department you know i'm a manager i'm going to give you uh, a, a project you need to go work on that project and get it done by the deadline so I think our, our thought process and how we teach here is a little bit different, uh-huh. um, but the equipment that we have in the lab, uh, we have north of 30 robots uh, in the lab, and most of them were donated by our advisory board members and our industry partners. Um, so it, it shows the connection that we have in an industry just like you, yep. and, and you guys certainly come in and tell us what we need to do better. Yep. You know, I don't think you ever say we don't need to do anything anymore. You just, we need to do this in addition to, and you got to figure out how to get it into the length of the program. Right. Um, but no, I would certainly welcome anybody out to come and, and see what we do here and, and what we're about. Because I, you know, I, I once ran into a, a, a guy from Fanic and, um, and he's, I won't tell you what he does there. Um, but I ran into him in Chicago at probably FabTech or Pack sure. Expo or something. Yep. And we're talking, and I was telling him what uh, we do here, and I could see in his face he didn't believe a word I was saying. So I invited him to come out. Come on out, you know, visit. You know, and I, I figured he'd never come, right? Yeah. So one day I get paged to the front office, and, and I walk up to the front office, and there's this guy standing in there. And, and, and as soon as you see somebody from, you know, a robot company, yeah. you know they're from the robot company. I don't know. They all come from the same mold. I don't know what it is, yeah, but it's like, yeah. Uh oh! <laughs> as soon as I seen this guy, and I walked in the door, and, and he goes, he looks at me, he goes, "You don't remember me, do you?" That's what he said to him. The first words out of his mouth. Sure. And but as soon as he spoke, I knew exactly who he was. Yeah. And I said, "Yes, I do." And and I just licked my lips, and I brought him down to the lab, and I started showing him what we do. And and at towards the end of the tour, he goes, "Do you mind if I take any pictures?" I said, "Sure. Why?" Um, I said, "I don't mind. Take all the pictures you want, but, yeah. but why?" And he goes, the people back in Detroit are not going to believe me. Right. That's exactly right. what he said. So that was awesome. And, and again, I think you got to come here to see what we're doing. You just, yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, you know, when I first started traveling, you know, people would ask my wife, why is your husband always gone? What's he do? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> Cause she, how, how do you, well, she knew what, what I did and, and, and how I did yeah. it, but she knew she was going to have a hard time explaining it to somebody that's never seen it before. Without a doubt. Yeah. Right, right. And this was before shows like how it's made right. and other stuff right. where it was yeah. like, yeah, again, 
back in the 90s. Right, right. Early 2000s. Yeah. So, so yeah. Well, and I know that's been a battle, speaking of being a little bit different, I know we've had a lot of dialogues and just how different this is compared to the other things that are happening in the state, right? And we've had to try to figure out how to fit things in and what falls out the back and, you know, because how many credits are we, or you guys, I guess we, what's the limit or what? You know, it's a two-year program, typically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it used to be, you know, hey, there's this mandatory summer session that comes with it, and I want to say we packed in a whole lot of stuff. Um, right. What year did you graduate? Oh, two. Okay. Um, so back when I was a student, back in, in the early 90s, um, I started this class the weekend after I graduated high school. So we started, I want to say, that Tuesday after Memorial Day in May. Wow. So we did first year summer, we did a fall, and we were on the quarter system back then. So we did summer quarter, fall quarter, winter quarter, spring quarter, summer quarter, fall quarter, winter quarter, spring quarter. So, so we actually two and did, a half years then, just about. It's well, it's two full years if you think about it. We didn't have any time off. We oh, didn't sure, have a summer sure, off. Sure. Yep. Um, and then in 1995, we, we changed to the semester system, and we became more... We, before 95, we were owned by the, this local school district, mm-hmm. but at 95, we are now owned by the state. Uh, so we changed to the semesters. And somewhere in there, I want to say, um, and I think it was probably prior to 95, but we, we lost that first summer semester. Okay. Right? We cut that out because today, uh, students start fall semester, which is the end of August, we do start before Labor Day, unlike uh, K-12 system does. So we start that that first fall semester, then we have a spring semester, which ends um, actually right now in May, middle of May. And then we do have a summer semester between our what we call our first year and our second year, where um, that summer semester um, really, we start to lay out, you know, what we're going to do in that that capstone project. We start to build that plan, right? Okay. And then, then when we come back for that second year fall, as we call it, um, now we're starting to build that project. I mean, we're really getting into it. And then, gotcha. And the in the final spring semester that we have, we we just add bells and whistles. Uh, we pretty things up. Um, yeah. We take a video. One, that's one thing that all my students do. Nice. Um, and, and I make them write a spec too, you know, yep. you know, I'm sure you've seen a system spec and I've had to write a couple. Yep. Yeah. And some of these are, they're, they're upwards towards a hundred pages long when they're oh, wow. done. Yeah. So okay. I, they have to include all their programs and, and drawings and everything in this sure, spec. So, sure. and, and this document is, you know, and it's a group document. So mm-hmm. you got three or four kids working on it, but it's still the biggest document they ever wrote probably. Right. right. Um, but anyway, so we, we, we tie that up um, in the middle of the spring semester, and then after that, they're eligible to go out on an eight-week internship, okay. you know, and, and they're paid internships, and, and uh, I was just following up on that last week and the week before, and nice. it's, it's exciting to see kids, you know, they're right in the industry right away, they're employed right away, and, and they're starting to realize, now I know why you did this, you know. Yeah. Um, so. And I guess uh, a couple of questions. Number one. Do you guys publish any of these system videos up on the, the central lake? Do you have a YouTube that we can go check these things out or? We used to. Okay. Um, COVID kind of put a little bit of a kibosh on that. Sure, but sure. Um, uh, yeah, search for Central Lakes College Robotics. You should be able to find um, my 
channel okay. on YouTube, and uh, there's some videos there. But we also have a Facebook page, and that's probably okay. um, a better way of, of broadcasting of this now. Um, so you can check out our Central Lakes College Robotics Facebook page. Um, so that'll be a good place to see kind of what makes this different um, th- than some of the other programs, what's happening. I guess, you know, last question I've got, uh, you know, we, we talk about the, the workforce challenges. What's the what's the placement rate out of these programs right now? If you want a job, you get a job. Sure. Um, and that's one thing that I learned when I came into education. It's not everybody wants a job at the end of the program. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> But if you want a job, uh, you'll get three or four offers. I This year I had uh, 18 students seeking an internship, and I had 27 companies <laughs> pursuing these 18 kids. And, and to be honest with you, one company took four. Wow. Right. And I, I, try, to, I try to advise or, or, or push against that um, sure. just to kind of spread people out so they don't – you know, stay in their clicks or whatever you want to call it. But, sure. And I need to have students for everybody, all my industry <laughs> partners too. But, um, but no, it's, yeah, if you, and, and, and that's just the people I know, you know, that's yeah. just uh, um, some people or some students pursue their own, their own avenues as well. Which is awesome. Yeah. So we've, uh, we've ran up on the hour here. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Come check it out. Yeah. You guys are open all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, even through summer. Yeah, we're, we seem to always be around. So. <laughs> right. Um, any, uh, any closing thoughts before I hit the, uh, the outro button here? I don't think so. I, uh, maybe just a shout out to you. I think, um, you know, I started listening to some of your podcasts sure. and, uh, yeah. I think you're doing a great thing here. You're, Thanks. you're, you're getting out and you're, you're, you're promoting automation. Uh, obviously we need, um, kids to be more interested in what we do. Um, and because we need, these kids to move into manufacturing. So I think this is a great platform to do it. So awesome. thank you. Yeah. And anytime, uh, anytime you want to chat or if we want to pull Robbie or some students in yeah. and ask them yeah. how they got here, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. So yeah. I maybe appreciate that, the time. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk later about maybe some future podcasts. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll catch you guys later. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm going to pull some students in here and talk about it. Shit, yeah. The opinions in the yeah, show been are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, <laughs> occasionally we might slide off the rails right? and into like, the ditch. Forgive oh, us for that one. I'm like, yeah. you don't get a choice in the matter. Yeah. Yeah.